The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the first season Next Generation episode, Hide and Q. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel is Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook at facebook.com slash Media. Retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and we love to engage with you on our social media, so be sure to uh, drop us a word wherever you find us. I want to tell you about another show on the network that you're sure to enjoy, The Secrets of Doctor Who, where Jimmy, Father Corey, and I talk about uh, Doctor Who and all its his incarnations throughout all of time, and uh, you check it out wherever you find fine podcasts or at sqpn.com slash Doctor Who. So before we get into the the discussing this particular episode, because it involves Q, uh, you might be thinking, well, we'll certainly have things to say about that, given that Picard Season 2 was included Q. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> we're recording this before Picard Season 2, so uh, we won't be talking about anything that happens in, in that season with regard to Q and, and uh, Captain Picard. But uh, just <laughs> so you don't want to get to the end and go, well, why didn't you mention this thing that happened? Uh, and that's why. Uh, so, Jimmy, if you could uh, give us a recap of what happens in Hide and Q. Sure. There are some good episodes with Q. This is not one of them. <laughs> the Enterprise is on its way to help some victims of a disaster when Q shows up. He says that as a result of Encounter at Farpoint, the Q have taken an interest in humans and he wants to offer a really special gift. He's very coy about what the gift is, but he says it's really awesome. After a bunch of filler material that doesn't really advance the plot, he reveals that the Q have become concerned that humans are growing in their abilities and may one day become more powerful than the Q. Consequently, they want to pick a human and turn him into a Q to better understand the situation. The human they've picked is Riker. And as soon as Riker is given the powers of a Q, he becomes a colossal, arrogant jerk that everyone is justifiably nervous around. Picard pretends to be Darren Stevens from Bewitched and makes Samantha, I mean Riker, promise not to use his magic. Riker agrees, but he goes back on the promise after just one scene. To win his crewmates over, he tries granting them their fondest wishes, but they reject his gifts and, for some reason, Riker decides that he's been acting like a colossal, arrogant jerk who everyone is justifiably nervous around. Q is then recalled to the Q continuum to be held accountable for how awful and ridiculous this episode is. The end. <laughs> that, that about, that about uh, sums it up. Uh, so one, thing, one reason this may be such an awful episode, so it was originally... Uh, written by this this guy Maurice Hurley, who was on the staff. Oh, mm -hmm. and yep, uh, go ahead. It uh, he would it, apparently uh, Roddenberry had given him this episode as a rewrite assignment, so he was already rewriting it. And mm -hmm. Roddenberry was so disappointed with his work that he ignored Hurley whenever they passed each other in the hallway at Paramount, which is apparently about four or five times a day. This all comes out of 
Shatner's uh, William Shatner's documentary called Chaos on the Bridge, which I think yeah. you can see on Netflix. Uh, ultimately, the script was rewritten by Roddenberry to such an extent that Hurley requested that the pseudonym C.J. Holland be used instead of his own name for the episode credits. I wouldn't want my name on the episode credits for this either. <laughs> yeah, and Roddenberry was notorious for rewriting other people's stuff. He didn't. Right. Uh, he 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 had trouble letting other people's writing stand. Yeah, and this goes back to the first and, to the original and, series. Yeah, and he's not a great writer himself. Yeah, yeah. The other notable thing about this episode is there's no Council of Troy. We get a captain's log at the very beginning. Council of Troy has been dropped off at Starbase for vacation. Uh, this was apparently not planned. Marina Sirtis was supposed to be in this episode, and at the last minute, they removed her, dropped that captain's log in, and reassigned her lines to other people. And there's no explanation why. Hmm. Maybe maybe she was ill. Maybe that could be, could have been it or something like that, but... Uh, just there's no Troy in this one, which saves us from. I've I sense that Q's feelings are whatever. Uh, so I'm glad we didn't get that. Yeah. Made it worse. So when it's interesting when Q first appears, he appears in some. They're trying to be a little ambitious, and he yes. appears in a form that is not human. Um, it basically looks like a kind of transparent, clear plastic sphere with mm-hmm. no color. And it's got three red and black cobra head and bodies sticking up out of it. Yes. And they, he later says that's the form of like an Aldebaran serpent or yeah. something, something like that. Um, and I'm going, okay, um, interesting. I appreciate them trying to show us something, you know, Q in a non-human mode um, because he's not human and could take any form he wants. So I like that effort, and the image itself is pretty well realized for the mm-hmm. technology of the day. It doesn't make any sense evolutionarily. <laughs> right. But, okay, whatever. Yeah, I thought it was going to be uh, some sort of alien god of some sort, like the, the maybe Aldebaran imagery of a yeah, other god cause, figure. Because it, yeah. it looks like, I mean, it looks like a fantasy creature, not like something that would really exist in on any right. world. And it would make more sense if this was like a, a religious totem yeah. that doesn't have a biological equivalent. Just like, okay. you know, you yeah. had on the headdresses of Egyptian pharaohs, you had a cobra and a falcon and next to each other, yeah. but they're part of one headdress. Right. Yeah. I if, Although, if there were a three-headed cobra somewhere, I would expect to find it in Australia, because that's, you know, where all deadly creatures are found. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I had a couple observations that you know in the midst of uh, how bad things were. Otherwise, uh, like all I noticed, the overacting. Yeah, but in addition to the overacting, the the set design, the quarters in early TNG had a lot more variety and color than they eventually did. They really kind of settled down to a very utilitarian look. But in the early days, like I noticed, like when when Bev Crusher comes out of sick bay, I guess, with some other people, and they're rushing around because they're on the way to save this colony that has a, had a disaster. Um, and the corridors have this, like, they're kind of wide, and they it looks like basically like a doctor's office from the 80s. Uh, you know, it's got this funky wallpaper that's sort of sideways striped. It's just kind of interesting to me that how they experimented early on, but really kind of settled on a more utilitarian design for the, the ship. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, it, it also yeah. may have um, been partly 
the standardization of sets that you got later on may be also partly due to the fact that they had built more sets by that time and they may not have had the room right to uh or in some cases in especially late in seasons they may not they may have been so far behind schedule that in order to meet their air date they may have just said okay we've got this one we can quickly put up and go and we'll run with that right 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 uh so when uh q does appear there's a Worf, I have to say, one of the the high points of this episode was Worf doing this amazing leap over the console that mm-hmm. he stands behind down to the main area of the bridge. It's, I, I got to give Michael Dorn some credit. That was that was quite the the uh, the leap there. Uh, so that's a, one of the high points of the episode. It shows you how good it is. Um, uh-huh. I, I one thing I want to point out with and talk about is how less playful Q is in these early episodes. Now he's still kind of um, bantery and has. But he's there's a lot more underlying menace than the the later Q, which is interesting. And you could put that up to him developing that affection that he has for Picard and later on for Janeway when he shows up in Voyager, as opposed to now when it's still relatively new. And they they wanted him to be this. Well, admittedly, Picard is a super colossal jerk right back to him. <laughs> he is. I mean, he is. he's not ende- really endearing himself. Right. Well, in early Picard, as we've mentioned before, it does have this sort of stuffy, officious thing that he eventually lets go. He eventually starts to warm up uh, to to others, that, that which mm-hmm. is welcome because that would have been a terrible show otherwise. Um, and uh, so his plan, Q's plan, is to, like you mentioned, just to take Riker and he abducts him to this planet to play a game that involves something having to do with the. Uh, early napoleonic wars yeah so he's got he's got this french marshal's uniform on and he's got these pig people in french military uniforms of the era that sort of thing who are attacking them and and all this sort of thing yeah no i think we we should give the uh, technically correct name for uh, for those um wharf classifies them as vicious animal things <laughs> so um so that's what they are. They're vicious animal things. Things. Yes. At least he didn't say they were some kind of vicious animal <laughs> things. Yes. Okay. If it were Voyager, he would have gone yeah. from that. Uh, and meanwhile, Picard is left on the bridge, which is, I, I have to say that, at least that's a little interesting. So it's not focused on Picard. Like last time Q was focused on Picard, now he's not. And so Picard is kind of shuffled hey, to the side. Picard had his chance. Yes, he he, uh, he he gave up his uh, his opportunity to to date the cure or whatever. Uh, but he's on the bridge. He can't get off the bridge. And he's, the phones are not working. The, the phones. He can't even record a log. So he's just left to sit there with his thoughts, uh, which must be scary. Um, but on the planet where whatever this planet is, and uh, we we never learn where the planet is. By the way, data points out this could be anywhere in the universe, given how powerful Q right. seems to be. Or. Nowhere. It could or be nowhere. entirely yeah. artificial. Yeah. Um, and so Q says, I want to uh, play a game because nothing reveals humanity so well as the games we play. And he attributes that to someone named Hartley. Do, do you know where that comes from? Mm, Who nope. Hartley is? Uh, I wonder if that's even a true quote. Oh, it probably real, but, is. Yeah. Um, whereas Q says, well, I would say it's actually how we play that reveals our, our true nature, which... You know, it's uh, it's not whether you the the old it's not whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game. Mm-hmm. Although, 
whether you win or lose also matters, especially in this one, because this is a game to the death. Um. Yeah. yeah, by the, the way, speaking of quotes, so yes. so we've got Patrick Stewart and John Delancey here, and mm-hmm. so we've got tons of pointless Shakespeare quotations. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, just lashings of pointless Shakespeare quotations. Uh, yeah. We, Among others, we get Tale Told by an Idiot, All the World's a Stage, What a Piece of Work is Man, To Thine Own Self Be True, and others. Yeah, the and play it's is like, the thing. Yeah. yeah, the play, it's just, dude. Dial it back, okay? <laughs> right. Just dial it back. I'm not saying you can't ever have a Shakespeare illusion, but don't stuff an episode full of them. Yeah, it's almost like the, that one guy who majored in English in college and wants to show you how smart that made him by quoting Shakespeare all the time in yeah. every situation, social situation. Yeah, it kind of feels like that. Um, so... Yar, Tasha Yar ends up uh, saying something that offends Q, and he puts her in the penalty box. I know it's just like all she. This is a verbal offense, right? She has you haven't even started playing. She's just objecting, and you do, and and so Q overacts penalty, and he sends her to the penalty box, which he implies is some kind of nowhere state where only one person can exist. And if some so if someone else goes to the penalty box, Tasha Yar will cease to exist. Yes, and really, the penalty box is the Enterprise bridge with having to be there with Picard. Right, and well, I guess that actually is a pretty good penalty box. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. but well, what it results yeah. in oh, is, yeah. is, is, and this is only one of tw- two times this happens in this episode. It reveals. That one of the characters secretly has the hots for another character because uh, Tasha is there and she starts crying about her situation and then she berates herself for crying because, you know, she is security chief um, <laughs> and and Picard tr- for once tries to be kind to one of his subordinates and tells her that in the penalty box crying is okay. And at that moment, she looks at him and says, oh, if you weren't a captain. <laughs> so we now know, and this is just, just Gene Roddenberry's, you know, fantasies weird. coming, yeah. weird, weird fantasies coming through. Tasha has the hots for Picard. <laughs> but it's not going to stop there. Because later in the episode, when Riker gives Jordy normal human vision... Yeah. And takes off his visor. Jordy takes a look around the bridge, and when he sees Tasha, he says, you're even more beautiful than I imagined. <laughs> so so we know Jordy <laughs> has the hots for Tasha. So we've got a little thing going on here. We've got a little <laughs> romantic triangle where Jordy has the hots for Tasha, but Tasha has the hots for Captain Picard. I mean, what is this, Star Trek Discovery? I mean, oh, it's so, like, these... these I mean the this Tasha Yar crying thing, it just it's out of nowhere. And it's just weird it's out of emotional character. scene. Yeah, yeah. It's just I like it didn't make any sense in this in the in the context. Like, why is she there's no crying in baseball? I mean, this is it doesn't make any sense here. Oh, it's just weird. And of course, uh uh Q shows up just as she says that and uh accuses the captain of uh, consorting with the lower ranks, as he says. Uh and and Picard gets all uh, you know angry at that, mm-hmm. um, and then he 
this is when uh, Q makes a side bet with Picard that Riker won't be able to resist the offer to become the godlike Q being, um, and uh, or that he won't beat him in the game or something along those lines. Yeah, the um, bet is uh, Picard's command. So if if Q wins, Picard loses his command mm-hmm. versus Q staying out of humanity's path forever, which is right. what Picard gets if Picard wins. And of course, Picard is going to win. So at the end of the episode, Q is supposed to stay out of humanity's path forever. Right. But that's you know that's not going to happen. <laughs> right. That's He's gonna, gonna well. It's just don't even bother making this bet, okay? Because right. it's too limiting for the plot potential for the writers. Clearly it is going to be broken, given how much in love Gene Roddenberry was with Q, a character he created. Yeah. Um, so just just don't even bother with the meaningless bat. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I mean, I, I suppose it just shows the mercurial or the... Uh, the, the, the Shows the bad writing. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Hey, so, let's uh, juice the drama by a ridic- with a ridiculous bet with high stakes. That everyone knows that, is, that, he'll, that Q will welsh on if he loses. Yeah. yeah, and everyone also knows Q will lose. Right. Well, that's is, I mean... We've paid money to bring John, to bring Patrick Stewart over from England. Jean-Luc Picard is not losing his command. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Right. So we know which way the bet, the meaningless bet is going to go, and we know no one's going to honor it. Yes. So uh, back on the, uh, the, the planet uh, where the game is going on, the, the alien pig beings are in their French army uniforms with muskets. The muskets are shoot like phasers, I guess. Yeah. Um, although the, the contempt that uh, they're uh, Riker and Data and and I think Jordy have for these muskets it's they're they're barely even weapons and I'm like yeah but if that lead ball hits you you're still dying so it's well, still a weapon but 24th century medicine <laughs> right well i i guess still lead a lead ball poisoning is still lead ball poisoning when you it hits it, you in the heart it yeah. it well except captain picard artificial heart oh i guess i guess that's true well in any case uh some who was it? I, I didn't even write it down. Somebody gets uh, zapped, and he, he, well, in, in zapped, I forget who gets zapped. Ultimately, uh, both Worf and Wesley get stabbed to death with bayonets. Right, um, but that's a little bit later. Um, there is a moment. So I have a couple things I actually like in the planet sequences. Uh-huh. Um, one of them, it's got a green sky with twin moons. Yep, and I like the green sky and the twin moons. I like that. So that's nice. Also, there is a moment where they're under attack and Riker by the pig things and Riker turns to Data to like to give him a command or something. And Data turns around and it's John Delancey in Data makeup. Yeah. And and that is an effective reveal. Um, So I wanted to give him props for that. It is creepy to have to be talking to Data. And suddenly he turns around and he's Q in data makeup. Mm, that was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when he gives Riker Q power to save the the bridge crew. Like, just wave your hand and you'll all be back on the ship. And, yeah. And that would be that. And which he does. And then the ship resumes as, as if it had never stopped. It turns out that Q had suspended time outside of the bridge and outside of whatever that weird planet place was. Well, I think he froze the entire universe other than his game planet yes so enterprise hasn't lost any time in getting to the uh disaster right 
Now, Riker didn't go back to the ship. He stayed behind, and uh, Q asks Riker, why didn't you go back? And so Riker quizzes Q, like, what is it you need from humans that you keep bothering us? And this is where when Q says, you know, after Farpoint, the Q continuum realized that humans will continue to grow and maybe even rival the Q. So they want to make Riker a Q to incorporate the human hunger to learn and explore and grow into the continuum. Yeah, now this has, a, so I have a couple thoughts on this. First one, he he mentions that they're afraid that humans may grow beyond the Q. So, okay, y'all aren't as omnipotent as you claim yes. if there's potential to grow beyond you. Mm-hmm. But my second thought is, oh man, here we go again. Humans are so special. Yours is so, <laughs> we put you in a cage and you can't even like the illusions we feed you. I mean. Yeah, humans just have this thing that no other race has that makes you so special that it drives the plot in this episode. And <laughs> right. I'm just like, come on. I've <sighs> evolution it's... works the same way everywhere, dude. Well, and, and it's not even just Star one Trek. Go- one god yeah. over everything. Yeah. Let's leave the human exceptional trope. Let's let's dial it back, okay? <laughs> right, right. Just dial yeah. it back. Every sci-fi series does this. Doctor Who does this. Like, you know, the Doctor's so fascinated with humans because we're the best thing in the universe. You know, just on and on and on. They they all do it. Even Babylon 5, which is comparatively realistic, did it. Um, You know, it's like, oh, only humans would think of building a space station to to get alien races together to negotiate and do commerce. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, Yeah, they all do it. It's kind of funny. It's uh, pandering to your audience, maybe. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I I I thank you. I appreciate the pandering. I hereby decline it. Yes, let's move move on to something new. So anyway, uh, Q brings everyone plus Wesley uh, back to the alien planet. Where and, as you and, mentioned, and Jordy says, "Come on, not again!" And I'm going, "Yeah, come on, not again." <laughs> Can we end this? So Worf and Wesley die. Wesley dies in the dumbest way possible, which, you know, is about par for the course where he gets... Oh, I know! He he's, runs in front of the, the alien pig beings. Yeah, he he's just seen Worf bayoneted to death, and yes. he runs over to help Worf, turning his back on a guy with a bayonet. What do you think <laughs> is going to happen? Yeah, and then we get the nice gruesome scene of the bayonet popping out of Wesley's chest from behind and uh and, and will wheaton getting to overact as uh, and, 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 william shatner dying yeah <laughs> admittedly for many fans that could be a very satisfying moment <laughs> that's true uh um, so Riker also, heals them yeah notice how you know in these early especially in the first season picard and Riker are not friends yet and yeah. so when when q yanks everybody down to the planet including picard and Riker is already there, and Q vanishes, and Picard is like, where's Q? And then he turns to Riker and, like, wags his finger at him and says, if you have an answer to any of this, and it's like, <laughs> dude, you're turning on your first officer. Right. This is not good command style. I mean, how about starting with a question, Riker, do you know where Q is? Right. Again, angry Picard. That's how we, that's how, uh, we played him early on for, for this really weird thing. Um. Yeah, and then Riker get, and the, Jonathan Frakes does this weird pose thing. The yeah, whole I know. Time too. It's a, it's at this point, and he first communicates it with his posture. But it's at this point that Riker decides to become a colossal, arrogant jerk that people feel justifiably nervous around. <laughs> yeah, 
he puffs his chest up, throws his chin in the air, and crosses his arms. I'm like, dude, what? Which acting school did you go to? Because this is like way over the top. And uh, yeah, he assumes this, and then he brings them all back to the Enterprise. Assumes this pose of superiority, starts calling Picard Jean Luc. At which oh, point Picard gets just offended. So cringy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then advises Riker to avoid using his power, no matter how tempted you are to use it. Oh, that'll be easy, he says. There's no way I'm going to use this power. And of course, we know, yeah. again, paint-by-numbers writing, he's going to be tempted. And this is, I thought, power tends to corrupt, absolute power corrupts, corrupts absolutely Lord Acton. Oh, and, and they we get that, that quote. We get yeah. the quote, yeah. Be- uh, misquoted, by the way, which everyone yeah. always does. It's because it, they tends quote it as... To. Yeah. It's supposed to be power tends to corrupt, whereas he says power corrupts, but power tends to corrupt. And uh, so when they get to the colony where the disaster happened, they find nearly everyone is dead, including this little girl who has been crushed under rubble. I mean, gruesome. You know, I mean, they don't show anything, but it, it's well, really... Well, they show us the little girl. I mean, yeah. they, they, they tear away the rubble, and here's the little girl, and they pick her up, and she's dead. And Riker says he can't bring her back to life because he's prevented by a promise. And so then the question is, morally speaking, what should Riker have done? He should have brought her back to life. (laughs) I mean, he's just he's just got this is if Dr. Crusher was there. That's what Dr. Crusher would have done. Yeah. Well, she was there. But yeah, I mean, and and, she had the power and she should have had the power because this girl is I mean, she doesn't even have bruises. You know, she had a bunch of rocks fall on her, and this is well within the established, bringing some back from from what we see is easily possible, given what they've established about 24th century medicine. Dr. Crusher should have brought her back, even if we pretend that the little girl had been so damaged that Dr. Crusher couldn't bring her back. All Riker is doing is the same thing that Dr. Crusher would do with better technology. This yeah. is not some big moral crisis. And it, with Picard and your, I mean, they kind of gesture at it a little bit of, if I, I, if I let him use this power now, he'll get too used to it and it'll cause problems later. So I guess that's Picard's rationale for making, this, making the bewitched promise. Um, is that it's it's not what Riker might do now that would be the problem, but what he might do later on if he gets used to using this ability. But it's it, but they they make it feel like it's somehow in principle wrong to revive a little dead a little girl who is clinically dead, and it's like yeah, no, we've been doing that since the twentieth century. Right. Um, right. you know, so th- it it that comes over totally lame. As as does yeah. a lot of the dialogue in this where now that Riker is a big jerk, he is conceptualizing himself in an entirely different relation to everybody and so he'll talk to Jean-Luc about he'll talk to Picard about you and your staff. Yeah. As if he's not a member of the staff. And he'll talk as if he has summoned the meeting. And Picard arrogantly corrects him of, no, I allowed this to go forward, and I'm the real one who has called this meeting. And then he says, of course, Jean-Luc. And he says it, and this is just what part of what infuriates me about the writing, or at least the directing, because 
people who, if you've, if you're this guy's subordinate and you've really gotten this, if you have the skills and the discipline to become the first officer on the Federation flagship, you understand chain of command protocol pretty darn well. Yeah. And, and so you would never call your captain by his first name in this situation. Right. And the only and 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 yet Riker does so casually, and it's written and acted as if he's oblivious to the fact that th- there's anything unusual about him using Picard's first name. I mean, I suppose it's supposed to show us that he's grown beyond or something, or he's become arrogant. He's well, yeah. it, it does that, but it's also terrible writing. Yeah, because I can understand. A, a del- a, because what's terrible about it is Riker seems not to realize there's anything unusual about him doing this. And that's meant to be a sign of how far he's seduced by this power he's got. But it's completely unrealistic. What I could imagine, if they want him using the captain's first name, is using it with deliberation as a way of putting the captain in his place and signaling, I am above you now. I get to call you by your first name, in which case, which would show what knowledge that Riker does have that he's deliberately violating the chain of command. So I could imagine it being written and acted like when Picard says, I'm the real one who called this meeting. Riker says, of course you are, Jean-Luc. Right. You know, and right. that could make sense given Riker's level of knowledge, but it makes no sense that the the uh, that the first officer of the Federation flagship is so out of sync with the chain of command that he just starts casually dropping the captain's first name obliviously just because someone gave him a superpower. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in this in this scene which just seems weird, like external production things as opposed to making sense in the context of the story, like. Oh, we're uh, we're gonna have this meeting on the bridge since I've called the entire staff, and it's like because we don't have the conference room set ready. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. that's we like it's no bigger crew, uh, crew than they would have had in the conference room. <laughs> they just yeah. decided to hold, they wanted to do it on the bridge for some reason, and then Wesley shows up and Breaker says, "Wesley, this meeting is not for you," which is a weird sentence. Like, mm-hmm. it just it sounds weird. And Wesley, why not, sir? You helped make me a bridge officer, acting ensign. Like, it just, it's all awkward. It's very mm-hmm. weird. Like, it doesn't sound like, this doesn't help people talk. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's like very, like, poor, like, dialogue in this whole situation. Well, and, and notice just the constant pivoting that we have, where Riker, in, I mean, Picard instantly becomes a jerk, and then Riker instantly becomes a jerk, and then. Picard makes him promise, and he instantly agrees. And then one scene later, he pivots again and is going back on his promise. Yes, and then we have like this this debate among you know among the the bridge crew. Like, what's the point of this meeting? Like, what? Why are we like having this this discussion? It's just to gather everybody so we can have the eventual uh, thing that's going to happen. So Q shows up uh, dressed as a monk. Yeah, uh, for and some we've got ridiculous, badly written religious overacting, where Picard yeah. says something mildly disapproving or whatever, and Q holds out a cross and yells, I forgive your blasphemy! And it's like, dude, yeah, 
dial it back. Come <laughs> right, on. Right. Uh, and so the, all of this is to get us to this scene where Riker uh, is going to hand out some lovely parting gifts to our contestants. Um, <laughs> he makes Wesley 10 years older. Um, and Crusher, it's interesting, Beverly sees it coming as soon mm-hmm. as he turns to Wesley. She's like, no. Like, she, she, she like, sees that Riker is going to do a thing for Wesley. Yeah. And she, she knows ahead of time it'll be bad. That was actually pretty pretty good i mean that was as mm-hmm. a as a as a little foreshadowing i, I kind of like that yeah um beverly but, uh, ineffectually yeah. protested well <laughs> yes uh and uh will wheaton wishes he looked quite so dashing and square-jawed uh 10 years after the tng <laughs> they also um, he they use will wheaton's voice they modulate the 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 frequency a little bit they bring it down a few tones but it's still yeah. Will wheaton doing the voice yes uh, before he can make Data human, because of course he, he assumes that's what Data wants, Data preempts him, compounding one illusion with another. Is you know what does and that then mean? We get, He's about he, to make he, you a real human, dude. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and then we get the Shakespeare: "This above all, to thine own self be true." More Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he he gives uh, Jordy his eyes, um, but Jordy says no because I don't like who I'd have to be grateful to. Uh, after he gets to Ogle uh, Tasha. Tasha for a minute, yeah, yeah. And, by and then, the way, he's Riker. Yeah. So they start rejecting the gifts, and we'll get to Worf's in a minute. But they start oh. rejecting the gifts, yeah. And and um and Wesley's justification for why he wants to be go back to being a teenager instead of being an adult is I want to get there on my own. Yeah, and that's reasonable. You know, I that makes sense. On the other mm-hmm. hand. If someone su- how how much would you like it if Dom if someone suddenly made you ten years older? Okay, <laughs> well, at this like, point, not very much. <laughs> well, exactly. And a smart kid like Wesley should be thinking. Um, so does that mean I get ten more years of human lifespan than I would normally get, or does that or mean fewer. <laughs> I just lost ten years that I'd like to have? <laughs> you, you've just had ten years of your life sucked away. How does that make you feel? Yeah. <laughs> Princess Bride. Uh, well, yes, oh, and we, yeah. all, <laughs> we also get another LaForge weird comment. Hey, Wes, not bad. I'm like, what the heck is that one about? That was weird. That one I could, that one I chose to take innocently. I mean, yes, the thought yeah. occurred to me that it could be read otherwise. But oh, I, I suppose, think, yeah. I think it's just like, you know, like, hey, Wes, you grow up nice. You know, you, that's true. You're an attractive young man. And, you can acknowledge that as a man without meaning you are that's true sexually or romantically attracted to him it's just hey you're a handsome guy given the uh, the tashiar one though i i guess i oh, kind of that is into it. <laughs> that is definitely weird well, and romantically oriented yeah well and then we have more of uh, gene roddenberry's id uh, coming out here with Worf's gift which is oh uh, man yeah that's just it's just uncomfortable just just wrong. So basically, if you haven't seen it, Riker decides he wants to give Worf a gift he will appreciate, and he decides that Worf will appreciate a prostitute, a Klingon prostitute, being materialized in front of him, making sexual advances on him. Yeah, it is, and because and, yeah. and, that's what she is effectively. I mean, or a slave, or, yeah. or sex slave, or whatever. She's a prostitute. She's a sex slave. She's something yeah. that is not consenting of her own free will she is programmed to she's like a meat hologram she's programmed to make sexual advances on wharf 
in front of his friends. Yeah. And really weird. It's like, what? I mean, I know this is just bad writing and it's just Gene Roddenberry's sexual fantasies coming out here. But if you try to take the script seriously as a piece of literature, what? The heck does it say about Riker and what he thinks his friends would enjoy? <laughs> right. I mean, he yeah. just he just nothing good. <laughs> bought a prostitute or sex slave and told it to make sexual advances on Worf in front of his friends in public. Yeah. And, Dude. And we as seriously we know- inappropriate. Klingon romantic gestures are tend to be sort of growly and violent and, you know, whatever. Yeah. And LaForge has this, Worf, is this your idea of sex? He says in this disgusted voice. <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, you yeah. judgy much of another culture, I yeah, suppose. That, but <laughs> that line is there just to make sure the audience understands what's being implied. Yeah. And then Worf says, this is sex, but I have no place for it in my life now. Which, you know, hey, good good for you, Worf, taking a vow of uh, chastity and celibacy. Uh, <laughs> although uh, Q is uh, then accuses him of being a microbrain for refusing sex. Uh, it's just, oh, Roddenberry, you know, yeah. dial it back. And anyway, uh, they all reject the gift, and that causes Riker to question the power? Relinquish I, I, it. yeah. And I feel like such an idiot. Like, yeah, and he even like because everything ha- Picard has to be so great. He he turns to Picard after they've rejected the gifts and says, "How did you know, sir? I feel like such an idiot." And Picard is a jerk and says, "Quite right. So you should." And I'm going <laughs> just just all of the sorry, just all of this writing is terrible. Yeah. And and if someone gave me superpowers, okay. Maybe in the long term, that could go to my head and I could start abusing them or feeling entitled or something, but not instantly. (laughs) Right. Not instantly. It takes time to have that kind of moral corruption unless Riker's just morally corrupt from From the the beginning beginning. and has only been waiting opportunistically to have power to be able to manifest what an idiot and evil guy he is. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, we've got to have the, a quick resolution because we're up to our, you know, 46 minutes or whatever it is, the, how long a running time for the show is. And so what do we get? We have uh, Picard, pay off your bet, Q. I recall no wager. I'm Welshing on my bet. And Picard then calls in Mommy and says, I'm sure that your fellow Q members remember you agreed never to bother us again and that you've failed in your job to attempt a human being to join you. No, no. And then, you know, lightning sounds and he's taken away. Yeah. And he's screaming and in pain as that happens. And yeah. Yeah. I kind of like that part. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they could take the ball Uh, and everybody gets, goes back to the way they were. Um, Yeah. Q. In in this scene, Q tries to get them all to like accept their gifts. He's trying to tempt them, and it's a very obvious serpent in the garden illusion that yeah. they're trying to make. But it just doesn't work. It just yeah, it it's it fails on all levels. It's hmm. classic first season's uh, TNG. It's in some ways it's surprising that the show ever got past the first season. Mm-hmm. There are some good episodes, 
but man, it was just wow. It was, it was, rough. It was rough going, rough going. Yeah, as we as we go through these, I'm like, wow. Because TNG gets really good, mm-hmm. but yeah, this, this about this season is not four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, any uh, last notes on this one? No, just it's it's just it's just so overblown, and there's so <laughs> much overacting in it, and it's just no fun. It's it it. <sighs> It would be nice to uh, maybe see it done on MST3K, but <laughs> right, right. It'd be I'd be curious, and you know, again, we haven't seen as we talk you and I about this. We haven't seen Picard season two yet. It would it'll be interesting to contrast how they write in a modern Trek context. You know, in the, in 2021 when they produced it versus today. I mean, versus the this episode back in 1987. The contrast how they've written these things mm-hmm. and the way they well, do it. And, and you know, frankly, I mean, these days, production methodology has changed, so you're not trying, you're not scrambling to write a script every week in yeah. order to hit your filming date, so you can take more time and make sure that you've got everything written and, and polished and so forth. So that's right. one aspect. But also, I mean, our kind of our, our catchphrase for today is, is dial it back. And they did that eventually with Q. He ceased to be written in this over-the-top manner, and he ceased to act in this over-the-top manner. And so Q became a much better character. I mean, I originally could not stand anything with Q in it. I I couldn't see why some people liked him. And I don't know that people did, or if it was just publicity, you know, making trying to make it sound like people did. Um, but he eventually, he grows as a character and the writers get a better, better handle on him and you've got better writers. And so there are good stories with Q like tapestry where yep. Picard does, it's a wonderful life, you know? <laughs> right. And, you know, he's only in deep space nine the one time and that one's kind of middling. Yeah. But in Voyager, there are things like the death wish episode in fact, they kind of redo this concept of introducing the human element into the Q continuum, which has grown stagnant. Which you have when you have the teenage Voyager. daughter Q lady. Yeah, and and they, I, I think that's more successful. Frankly, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's it's at least more complex and interesting yeah. than oh, this certainly is. And and the uh, so the episode where he throws him into the the into the beta quadrant to meet the Borg for the first time. Yep. That one's pretty good, even though it's really the Borg that are the star there, not Q. Yeah. And the, I think maybe the best one is the one where they take away Q's powers. Right. And he has to be human. Yeah. yeah. And, and then Corbin Bernson shows up at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, all right. So we, we have better Q to, to look forward to in the future. Any, any other final notes on this nope. one? Okay, so we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Jacob K., Richard D., Alexandra S., Lenka B., and Peter M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of Hide in Q? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. 
We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Deep Space Nine episode, Battle Lines. Be welcome to go back to Deep Space Nine for the first time in a while. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Tom, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, games? Did someone say games? Oh, boy.